This is One Step Beyond, and I'm your host, Aram Arslanian. I'm the CEO of an organization called Cadence Leadership and Communication. Today, we're going to be talking to Scott Kaplan from HQ Milton about building a trusted brand. You know, your company is only as strong as its brand. And whether that's just you or you and a thousand other people, your ability to build and maintain relationships is really dependent on how people view you. So we're going to get into that topic with Scott today and talk about his perspective on how you get into that trusted space. So let's check it out. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. I am really excited about today's episode. We have with us Scott Kaplan from HQ Milton, and we're going to be talking about building a trusted brand and what really goes into building a trusted brand. Um, Before I get into it, I want to tell you you a little bit of how I got to know Scott. So I am a collector of things. I love stuff. You know, when people meet me, you know, they know my background, I'm a therapist and I played in these punk bands. So they're often are like, oh, Aram is beyond possessions. No, I love stuff. (laughs) I've collected records ever since I was a teenager. So I've got a huge record collection, vinyl records. Um, I love sneakers. I love clothing, but I especially love watches. I really love watches. And I have what I believe is a, a modest watch collection. And I was speaking with my friend Jonathan one day and said, hey, I'm going to the Bay Area. What is the store that I need to go to? And he was like, oh, well, you need to go to HQ Milton, but you don't just go to HQ Milton. You actually have to make an appointment. And of course, that got me super excited. And I learned all about this incredible place. And not only is it an incredible place, spending time there just had a real sense of like, I'm somewhere and this place is cool. And I'm with someone, which is Scott and his team that just, I felt like, yeah, these people are awesome. They really care what they do. And it made me trust the brand so much. And it made the experience so cool that when I left, I kept talking about it and talking about it. And one day when I was talking with uh, Dave, who's our engineer, who's sitting here with us, and Dave had come with me to HQ Milton, Dave said, you got to get Scott on the show. That's going to be an incredible interview. So today what we're going to talk about is building that trusted brand and really figuring out like what was the journey to get there. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So I'm going to ask you the first question. Tell everyone, because I'm, t- I'm talking about in kind of vague terms, what is HQ Milton? HQ Milton is a uh, is a, a watch company, and we focus on vintage watches, mm-hmm. primarily Rolex and Patek Philippe. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a company that is named after my three children, Haley, Quincy, and Milton, um, and it's basically a passion project for me. That's how how it started, and uh, it came from very humble beginnings, for sure. Okay, cool. So I want to I want to hear about that. So what I'd love to hear about, and however you want to get there, I'd love to hear about your personal history, like who you are, how you came up, and then your first entering into like you know professional world, all the way right up to that first watch sale. Mm, yes. So uh, I grew up in a family that uh, my my grandfather had started a, a pawn shop, um, and my dad worked with him. And for as long as I can remember, that shop was around and selling diamonds and gold and watches. And it was a huge, huge part of my life just growing up with that and being around that and constantly being around transactions. Um, And after I graduated from college, I took a job in the tech world and I really quickly figured out that this is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) So I started working on weekends at the shop with my dad and my grandfather. And it was what I loved about that was the energy, the transactions. Mm -hmm. It it didn't really matter what I was selling, but Mm -hmm. it was just the idea of buying something and selling something. Mm -hmm. And that, that 
that just gave gave me a lot of energy. Mm. Um, but quickly, I realized that as much as I enjoyed diamonds and jewelry, watches were really my thing. That was something that I could wear, that I enjoyed. I loved the history of it. Um, I loved the craftsmanship and specifically Rolex. Mm-hmm. It just called to me at, at, a, at a young age. And I think, I think that came from seeing what my dad was wearing. And he didn't wear Rolex ever. But he, the first watch that I remember noticing was this gold band with this lapis dial. And that blue of the lapis, just something it just connected with me. And I just, that was it. It was like I loved watches at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's where it started there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I worked for my dad for about 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was doing that, I, I did all kinds of things. I wrote loans. I sold diamonds. But really, again, it was the watches that, that I was passionate about and specifically Rolex. And so I started just basically being in charge of buying and selling the Rolex watches there. And I sold a lot of them. But if any of you guys have ever been involved in a family business, there's a lot of dynamics <laughs> in that. Some great, some not so great. Um, but I, I, I realized that uh, this was my father's business and he's great at it and he loved it. And nothing was really going to change. The store had been around since the 60s. And literally, when I say nothing changed, nothing changed there ever. Like that's is what it is. Right, right. And so it was it was hard working within those constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, and in around 2007, I uh, I kind of realized that I can't do this anymore. You know, it was just tough on me. Um, I had three little kids, and I had some, was having problems with my wife because I worked six days a week and got home completely exhausted, had no time, wasn't helping with the kids, didn't even know my young kids really. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there's more to life than, than what I'm doing. And I have to say that my, my wife was the most, the most inspirational person in helping me make this change. She was like, you need to get out of there. You need to do something else. You, you have so much more potential. And, and I just like, she had been saying that for a long time. I didn't really believe her. I felt like I have a good job. It's solid, you know, and I have kids and I have all these responsibilities in this big house. And it's like, I can't, I can't just walk away from that. But that's exactly what I had to do. And, um, yeah, so the beginning of HQ Milton started with me walking away from my family business. And that was quite a, quite a scary moment, but, uh, but I did it. I wish our audience could see you right now. Cause (laughs) as you're talking about it, like I could see the weight of that decision. Um, cause it's not just walking away from a good job, uh, that where you make good money and you've got a wife and a kid and a home. It's also the weight of walking away from a family business. And I could see, like, as you're talking about it, the weight that played on it. So how did that impact your relationships with uh, your father? So when I first started thinking about this, and it literally took me a few months, and I would, every day on the ride in to work, I'd practice what I was going to say to my dad. And, and I was so nervous and so stressed about that. And then... One day, I just blurted it out, and I told him, I said, I'm so grateful for everything that you've taught me and provided for me and given me this opportunity to be here, but I have to do something else. Um, I'm, I'm not happy. My, my marriage is not doing well, and I need to spend more time with my kids, and I need to do something that, that I'm in control of. And he was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, wow. And uh, he was open to it, which really, really shocked me. Um, And so, like, that was a huge, huge weight that was off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I told him my idea, which which there really wasn't much of a plan at that point. All I knew was that I can't do this anymore. And so I said, I want to sell watches. 
I want to sell it in a controlled environment to people that are enthusiastic about it, that love it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's all I really had. Yeah. That's all I knew. <laughs> you didn't have a business plan. No. You didn't no. have like a location. You didn't have like a clientele, anything like that. No, I had nothing. I mean, I had some clients that would come into the shop downstairs mm-hmm. and then, but I didn't, I didn't have a plan really. Mm-hmm. Over the next couple of weeks, once I kind of spoke to him and had that, 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 that relief, mm-hmm. um, I asked if I could take the third story of our building. And I said, I'll build it all out. I want to build this beautiful showplace that is just going to be comfortable and is designed specifically to, to sell Rolexes, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I want to focus on vintage. And he's like, why do you want to focus on vintage? Like, how are you ever going to get vintage watches? I'm like, well, because everybody in the world can sell modern stuff. And I'd be competing with everyone all over the world. And essentially, I couldn't compete with that. Mm-hmm. And so if I am very specific about what I want to buy and sell, then I think maybe I can have some type of advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how that, that began. All right. So cool. So your father was a little taken aback, but essentially supportive. Totally. Which surprised me. Okay. Big time. All right. So I want to hit on something here that I, I think is so important, not just for the story, but for people in general. You knew you wanted to do something different, but you didn't necessarily have some super fleshed out business plan. Yeah, correct. Like absolutely not even close to that. All right. So just, if, yeah. if you think of the people who are out there listening to this, who are saying, Ooh, I'm ready for a change. And like, I gotta, I gotta take a leap. And they don't have a plan. What's a piece of advice that you can give from, and it doesn't have you know, just from your own story. Yeah, I think I think for me it was it was more about my heart, mm-hmm. you know. It was about what was important to me, and and that was the first time in my life where I wasn't thinking about how am I going to make money, like how am I going to create a business that's going to be profitable. That was literally not even not even on my radar. It was more about what can I do to make myself feel good? Yeah. You know, what can I do to spend more time with my kids? Yeah. And what can I do to be a better husband? Yeah. Um, and those were really, really profound and new feelings for me. Yeah. Like, I spent my whole life never even considering those things, yeah, yeah. you know, which sounds terrible, but, but that, that, that was the truth. Well, it's also, uh, it's kind of a gendered way of, of approaching life because a lot of men are conditioned from you know, young ages to kind of like push feelings down and just to think about like money, success, da, da, da. So it sounds like you took a pretty traditional path. Could we take a step back and talk about your, your short entry into the tech world? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, cool. Because <laughs> again, I wish everyone could have seen, seen your face because you're like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I, I took this little thing. Um, so- you come up, there's a family business and were you even entertaining going into the family business or were you always like, I'm going to do something else? Yeah. I, I, for as long as I can remember, my dad was like, my business is too hard. It's too many hours. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, okay. And so, yeah, I I got a job working for a a semiconductor company Mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley and it was one of those things where I thought, oh, this is great. You know, and my dad was so proud and, and, uh, I got there and I was basically a financial analyst for, uh, ASIC chip department. Mm-hmm. And it was literally the most boring thing <laughs> in the whole world. <laughs> and I had, I had work to do, which was like financial number. It was just numbers mm-hmm. and I could do that work in about 45 minutes right. for the whole day. Yeah, yeah. And then there was nothing else to do. So I had to like draw that out for six hours, eight hours. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I cannot do this. Like there's no way. Mm-hmm. I lasted about six months. Wow. And then I just, that was it. Okay. So that was that the first time that you walked away from something where you were like, hey, this is logically a secure job. I know I can do it. It's, it's well within my wheelhouse. It's easy to do. And I'm going to choose not to do it. Was that the first time? First time. And, and it, 
it, it was just, there was no challenge to it. Mm-hmm. It was just boring. And I looked at the people around me and it was very corporate, you know, and it was like, to me, I was kind of raised that the harder you work, the more reward you would get, the more success. But this was contrary to that. Right. It was like, it didn't matter. It yeah. didn't matter if, how hard I worked. It was just like, you were in a system that, yes, there was security to it, mm-hmm. but not where I wanted to be. And yeah. there was no expression and no, uh, there was no juice to it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you take the leap, you go into your family business, you do that for a long time until you hit this point where you're like, I got to do this other thing. Yeah. And you take the leap. And I'm always fascinated by people who take the leap because I, I talk a lot about day one. And day one is like, I've started my own business and that, that feeling like, yes, I did that thing. And then I also talk a lot about day two, which is like, oh, now what do I do? So <laughs> you build out the space. Then what? Yeah. So I, I spent all my money on two things, on building out the space and buying inventory. Mm-hmm. Did both of that. Felt very happy. It was. It is a beautiful space. Um, crystals in the walls and in the floors and feng shui and just like very pleasant. And I was so happy being in that space. I didn't have any customers. I didn't sell anything. I didn't buy anything. But just being there was like the best therapy for me ever. Mm-hmm. And every day I'd go there. And I'd look at my watches. I didn't sell anything, but I'd look at my watches. My dad would come up, up the stairs and be like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Why aren't there showcases in here? Why aren't there people? Why don't you open the door? Mm -hmm. What's going on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he just couldn't get it. Couldn't understand it. And, but, but it didn't phase me. I, I was like, this is, this is it, man. I just built Mecca for Mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, yeah. And I had never done that. I had never really done a lot of things for myself. And this was pretty much it. Um, And so this was also at a time right about when the uh, real estate market and the financial markets with the mortgages were were beginning to crash. Oh, no. (laughs) So I couldn't have picked a worse time. But that also didn't bother me. Okay. You know, so I was just there in this beautiful space looking at my beautiful pieces and I I felt a sense of calmness Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, that, that, that was, I remember that so clearly Mm -hmm. just being satisfied, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet I hadn't done anything. (laughs) So when did, when did uh, the customers start coming? Like how did you get known? Yeah. So basically it it took a minute. Mm -hmm. I, I, there were the, there still are, and there's um, watch forums, Rolex Vintage Forum and Rolex Forum. And uh, I, so, like all online internet stuff. Yeah, yeah okay. online. And I posted an ad on, on Vintage Rolex Forum. And I got a response on a watch that I had of a, from a guy in the UK. And he's like, Oh, I love that. I'll take it. And I was like, Okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I have no idea how to ship this to the UK. And this guy, wow, how can he say I'll take it? He doesn't even know who I am or who my company is or anything. And uh, But I sent him my wire instructions. And two days later, I had $20,000 in my bank account. That mm-hmm. was the first sale. Whoa. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> like this guy just wired twenty grand. To me, he doesn't know who I am. There's no track record other than our our conversation, which went very well. Mm -hmm. But I was like, maybe, maybe I'm onto something here. Mm -hmm. And that trust, like, as you mentioned earlier, that blew me away that he was willing to, uh, to send that and to trust that I was going to deliver what I said I was going to deliver. Um, that opened my eyes mm-hmm. and gave me a lot of lot of hope. Yeah. And that transaction went great. I figured out how to ship the watch. He got it. Totally happy. And to this day, he still buys watches from me, so, which, uh, which is awesome. Yeah. And and that just kind of that like that started it, yeah. you know. And then I realized, okay, you know, there's a whole world out there that is accessible through the internet, which 
which I knew but never actually experienced. Mm -hmm. And that changed my business because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to stock everything, have it in my shop, and people are going to come in off the street. But at that time in San Francisco, watches were not a big deal. And the tech was was there, but the money from that hadn't really blown up like it is now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so most of my sales were in Europe, mm-hmm. um, Asia, mm-hmm. and like the East Coast. Not wow. much on the West Coast at all. Wow. Wow. Um, so a couple of things I want to touch on. You said something that I... It really hit me when he said, so I built Mecca. You built your own place. You built your own peace of mind. So you took this huge leap. You walk away from a career where, you know, you could have, after your father, you know, it was done, you could have taken over the shop. You walked away from a sure thing and you built Mecca and you did it in a time where the financial situation was pretty wobbly, but you felt peace. How quickly did your relationship turn around with your family? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, so by doing that, it opened up, I think, who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting for me mm-hmm. and probably is equally interesting as everyone around me. Um, the damage that was done all those years with my marriage I couldn't fix, right. um, which, which is very sad for me. Yeah. Um, however, my relationship with my ex-wife has and has always been great. Right, right. Um, but the thing that came from that was my, the relationship with my children. Hmm. And that is what I'm most grateful for. Right. Um, that's when I started to be present, to be around them. And coaching my son in baseball and going to all my daughter's soccer games and just being there and actually being present. So to me, having to go through the pain of a divorce is pretty traumatic. But everything that came from that um, has been wonderful. Okay, right on. So starting HQ Milton changed your life. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, And what stands out to me here is Although you couldn't repair one relationship, it allowed you to, to even have an other kinds of relationships with your with your children. And it seems like it's impacted your life in general, like really starting this company's changed who you are. Absolutely. Or yeah. revealed who you are. Yeah. And it also changed my relationship with my father as mm-hmm. well. You know, like working with him for 18 years side by side, it's like, I love the man, but we drove each other crazy. Yeah. And this, this changed that, you know, um, I, I, our relationship got much better. Did he stop selling watches? No, he still sold watches, but he did it in his way, which works for him. Okay, cool. So, um, tell me about this like niche that you found yourself in and you really developed a space. Cause like for people who wouldn't know about this, but you know, our business people, um, we understand like how much knowing your audience really matters. And one of the things around watches is there's a lot of good fake watches out there like that, that look a lot like them. And, you know, you have to really know your stuff to be able to tell. And also like really being able to get into that vintage market and create that around yourself. Like you essentially you built you built a space within a niche market for yourself. And I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So, you know, with. um with the watches, with regard to being fake or, or counterfeit, being in the pawn shop for all those years, that was a huge, huge education for me. Because mm. not only did I learn how to deal with all kinds of people um, and listen to all kinds of stories and basically have a lot of people trying to get you, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So what I learned at an early age was to be friendly, to be polite, but also to be direct. And you can listen to everything that the people say, but really it goes in one ear and out the other. And I'm literally looking at it. And that's all that matters to me. And so being able to recognize something is, is fake or mismatched or not exactly correct is something that has come very natural to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I learned that from being in the shop 
And so that translated very well to the watches. Um, and also being patient, you know, and, and just taking it slowly and, and knowing, knowing who you're buying from, knowing who you're selling to Mm. and, and, um, not being greedy Mm. like that. That's a, that's a huge lesson. Like a lot of times when things are too good to be true, they actually are too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's no, there's no home runs like buying something for a thousand dollars and selling it for $50,000. Like that, that, that's not real. You know, you have to be fair. You have to be honest and you have to uh, be transparent. Mm -hmm. And that, that's something again, that my father taught me, you know, it's like, just, just be real, be fair. And, and that's, that's how you build the relationships and then you'll attract whatever it is that you're looking for. Yeah. I think that's a, a really nice segue into um, being a trusted brand. Cause again, um, HQ Milton, I love that you deal with like, a good spectrum of stuff. Cause there's some watches that are, you know, like very affordable and there are some that are, you know, much more higher priced. And it's cool to see that at the, at the store, but I, I want to talk about the brand specifically. So you have a very cool well put together cultivated brand was this intentional or did you just build it over time it it, it was built over time mm-hmm. for sure you know i mean i think obviously rolex is is the cornerstone of it mm-hmm. um but but yeah it, it, it's evolved mm-hmm. um definitely and it changes all the time you know it, it has to mm-hmm. um you know we are i like to think that our brand is built on Submariner, GMT, mm-hmm. Daytona, and Explorer. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the sport models, yeah. you know, and that's that's majority of what we sell. It's what I wear. It's what I like. It's what I grew up liking, mm-hmm. you know. And so that, that that's that's the bread and butter for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, anything we're open to to other other brands we're open to other models as long as they're genuine and and have some have some attraction to me you know and and it's it's a feeling almost (laughs) well but that that feeling that you talk about because there's a huge amount of trust involved in hq milton so for example when people come in, I don't imagine they grill you about the authenticity and this or that. It's like that they arrive already trusting the brand. Is that correct? Um, I think now there's a certain degree of that. Certainly in the beginning, it was not that way. And and even now that's like, I get a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails of people like asking, how do I know this is real? Mm -hmm. How, how do I know this is authentic? And you know, it's like I almost I have to I have to take a deep breath before I answer that. Right. You know, it, because like I shouldn't take offense to that yeah. because I understand this is this is a large expenditure. Yeah, people are nervous about it. But in order to find me, you can't. You don't just find me. It's like you have to actually be looking. You know, and yeah. so if you're actually looking, I'm sure you've read. All these reviews and all these articles about about my company, and it's like you already know. You know that's what goes through my mind. I'm like, okay, we have to play this game. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, we guarantee everything. Mm-hmm. If you're not completely satisfied, you can return the item. Mm-hmm. You know, we, there's there's no you have no you have no liability. Yeah, you know. But how did you get there? So like you're hitting on something. I'm going to keep pushing yeah. on this because yeah. like. If you walk down the street, so when Dave and I first went to HQ Milton, like it's unassuming. You have no idea that it's there. Yeah. There's not some big signs like HQ Milton watches this way. I had to ask my friend who told me about, about you. I went to your website and I was like, damn, this is like really, this is really cool. But even the website's unassuming. It's just very direct. There's not a bunch of bells and whistles. It's like, here's the watches. Here are the prices. These are things that we've sold previously. It's a very um, user-friendly but very direct website because you'd used the word direct earlier. So I, I hit my friend um, Ben Barris, who's also a watch collector, and said, hey, and he lives in the Bay Area. And I said, hey, you know, tell me about this company. And he was like, sung, you know, your praises. Then I did the thing that you said. I went and looked at online reviews. I went to your Instagram. But I had to discover the brand. The brand was not put in my face. But in doing that, I arrived at your front door like, oh, I totally trust this guy. And what was interesting, and and for the listeners, you don't just walk into HQ Milton. You have to, like, call and make an appointment. So 
there's a lot of stuff there that I'd say is like passive branding. Tell me about that and how you use that to build the trust. Yeah, that's funny. Um, that's, that, that's for me, if someone's marketing to me hard, I'm always wary of that because to me, if something's excellent, just like a restaurant, some restaurants don't even have, have a name above the door, but yet they're full. Like, how does that happen? Because it's good, you know? And I, and I feel like what we have is so good that I don't need to advertise and, and even advertising doesn't even work really Mm. because I built this business on referral. Mm. It's like someone comes in, they found me however they found me Mm. and they tell their friend and then that's the best advertising there can be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Hey, I I went there. These guys were totally cool. The watch is great. They stood behind everything. They explained everything. They were patient. They took the time. There was no pressure to buy. It was just information. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how, that's how I like to do it. I just Mm -hmm. tell the story, like Mm -hmm. the watches actually sell themselves, you know, and that's such a departure from where I was when I was working with my dad, where we were selling things that some of the things were good, some of the things weren't good. And I didn't have confidence in some of the products that we were selling. And I hated that Mm -hmm. with what I sell now. It's like, to me, this is the best thing there is. So there's, I don't need to sell at all. Like it's literally not selling. And, and that's, that's how that has been the approach with the marketing, with the website. It's just, there's no frills. There's no, you know, 15 paragraphs describing and flower, flowery language, the watches. It's like, you guys know what it is. I know what it is. And this is a great example. Here's the price. We make it very simple Mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. And like the simplicity of this is like, I find fascinating. The whole thing is fascinating to me because it's like total passive branding. Like your brand is incredibly strong. Your website is very nice looking, but it's super direct. When you and I have emailed back and forth, one time you apologized for being direct. And I was like, no, I love it. Like be direct. So the whole approach is so unassuming. Like if you're into great stuff, we've got great stuff. And if you want to come check it out, make an appointment, come see us. If not, it's totally cool. And that has somehow in the most, like I think powerful way really worked for you. So how much of this was intentional versus how much of this was just your personal approach and then it developed that way? Yeah, I wish I could say it was intentional. That would be <laughs> genius. Honestly, I'm giving you the layout. I know, <laughs> I know. It's like, I, honestly, it just, this whole thing has just kind of evolved and mm-hmm. it's been a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, along the way, I've just, a lot of my customers are like amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and they do the work, they mm-hmm. tell their friends mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's how it works. I mean, we've done some Google AdWords and, and this and that and the other thing, but, but honestly, it, it's the people, mm-hmm. the people telling their friends and their family and, and, and that's how it's grown there. I, I wish I could say I was this marketing genius, but couldn't be further from the truth. Well, Instead, you're someone who truly believes in what you do. You believe in the product, like bone deep. It's like really apparent. And the industry or the the company you've started allows you to be your genuine self. So you believe in what you do. You believe in the products and you're comfortable with yourself. That sounds to me to be like a perfect branding strategy. It's just like find something you love to do, believe in that thing and have a really great product. And if done well, the people will come if there's if there's a good market for it. Yeah, absolutely. And the people that, that are with me, my watchmaker, Justin, mm-hmm. same way. Amazing, amazing, gifted watchmaker, totally unassuming mm-hmm. and very direct, knows everything about the insides of the watch. And, and he's a great salesperson also, mm-hmm. but also very direct. Like there's no, there's no heavy sales at all, yeah. you know? Um, and, and I think the passion that I have for it, the passion that Justin has for it, it, it comes through and people sense that and they know that and they know that we're genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, it may catch people off guard mm-hmm. from time to time because we are pretty direct mm-hmm. and we just get right down to it. You mm-hmm. know, there's, there doesn't need to be this big 
negotiation or a big mm. dance, you know, mm. it's not like we're selling cars, mm. you know, so it's like we like to buy them and sell them and mm. move on to the next one. Right on. So how have you, I know your team is, is small and you only need a small team. Um, how have you found people? Well, um, there haven't been that many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, most of them are related to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin worked at the unauthorized Rolex service center. Mm-hmm. He's a trained Rolex watchmaker. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't that situation. He was there probably six years. And then it just wasn't working out for him. Mm-hmm. And I had always given him my watches to service anyway. Mm-hmm. And when he told me that he was leaving the Rolex service center, I was like, dude, please come, <laughs> come right. to my place. And, and that was, that was about five or six years ago. Yeah. And, uh, we built out beautiful watch room completely done to Rolex spec. Mm-hmm. And he has this amazing home there and it's all his and he's in charge of that domain. And it's really, really worked out well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my son who, uh, is in college now, he works a few days a week and is learning the business. Um, and right now my sister-in-law is helping out. So cool. it's just kind of, it's, it's a small family business. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like they're people that you're comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. People I trust, people I love. Yeah. It, and because there's so much when I go there, like the brand is like, and the reason I keep coming back to the brand, cause it's like unbelievably strong, you know, um, again, for me being a collector, I've collected things ever since I was a kid. And I love collecting. I love the chase. I love the pursuit of stuff. But I'm also, I'm picky and I'm, I'm cautious because just like anyone, I, I've gotten burnt. You know, I just I bought a couple records recently. I got burnt on real bad. My Danzig 2 and Danzig 3 never showed up and I was really bummed. But I didn't even hesitate when I went there. Like, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I got myself a beautiful Submariner. Um, and I was there 20 minutes, yeah, walked in the quick. door. Yeah. yeah. So there's something magical for that in me because it's part of also how I do my career is that, you know, I'm a young guy covered in tattoos. Like I go into corporations, I work with CEOs of like billion dollar organizations and they just have to trust. Mm-hmm. They have to trust me. So my brand is strong. Sometimes brands take hits though. So I want to ask you, um, along the developing of your brand, have there ever been any challenges where you felt your brand was a little wavery or wobbly or has it always been stable? I think because we did this in a, a pretty slow and methodical way mm-hmm. um, that I didn't have a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were always challenges. People, you know, want to know who are you, you know, and, and who do you know in the industry and, and why, why should I trust you, yeah. you know? And those are totally valid questions. Mm-hmm. And I think my answer has always been, well, you know, here's, here's the name of several people, dealers that we work with talk to them you know they'll tell you that that we're honest that we pay on time we pay immediately um you know and if there's any problems we take care of it you know and i think i think that's that's the biggest thing like again going back to it it's word of mouth and it's and it's referral from people in the industry who have been around a while that say yeah i know them they're they're good dudes okay you know um, what's the, uh, what are the unique challenges or the unique opportunities that are involved with building a relationship with a client base online versus in person? Cause like in person, it's a beautiful space. It's like, I, there's something about having to make an appointment that like, I felt like we'd shook hands before we even got there. Like, I was like, Oh, like I can't just go in there and like, you know, like kind of browse around and whatever. It's like, I'm coming there with purpose. I'm not going to waste their time. They're not going to waste my time. So that's a whole thing. But what's the, what are the unique challenges or opportunities with building a relationship online? Yeah, I think with going through text and email, it, it often creates um, a very short kind of conversation and basically, which is good and bad, but it's hard to pick up the tone of someone or, and obviously not being able to read their body language and their, and their, their face as well makes it more challenging. So people tend to be a little harsher. Not, not us necessarily, but, but the customers, you know, like very, very direct, almost to the point of rudeness. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, that's sometimes challenging, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm pretty busy and it's like, if I'm returning emails and I see like a very kind of harsh thing, a lot of times I'll skip right over that, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, I don't want to waste my time. 
which is probably not the best best thing for me to do mm. but it's a little bit of human nature mm. and um so yeah it's it, it's a process like like you've mentioned it's like someone has to contact me they have to express what they're interested in and then i have to try to gauge their level of um interest and by asking a few more questions so there's a lot of back and forth before we can actually get down to okay here's a specific watch are you interested in it you know where are you located there's 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 issues with shipping and even though we ship all over the world some places are a little harder than others mm-hmm. and and trying to get all the logistics in line but for me once we start talking about the actual watch that's where the breakthrough mm-hmm. happens you know it's if people are so caught up in the dollars and cents, that's not always the best place to start, mm. you know, um, because then it's just, it's very robotic. Mm. Um, but if we talk about the watch, we talk about, you know, why you like this, how, how it moves you, then, then on both sides, I think the emotion comes up. And then to me, that's what it's actually about. Mm. That feeling like it's, you're, you're buying, you're buying a piece of history. You're buying something that is so beautifully crafted and there's so much more to it than just an investment. It, it's not, I mean, it is dollars, but it, but it isn't. Yeah. So it's in, in that written interaction. Cause very often when I talk with people about writing, I say from a business perspective, I think it's the most dangerous place for relationships. One poorly written sentence, one one word versus another, it can blow up relationships. And I encourage people the best place or the, the place to get strong immediately if you do a lot of uh, business writing is writing. Um, people often focus on public speaking or having tough conversations. I believe the most important place to get good is writing right off the bat because we do so much of it day to day through email. So one of the things I'm hearing for you is like around like maintaining a strong brand and strong client relationships is if you're in the robotic space where it's like dollars and cents and kind of logistics, yeah, that's a part of it. But if you can get people talking about the passion, like what they're excited about, like where it touches that heart center, that's where it's actually through writing you can have a more of a relationship building moment. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, and I often, this happens more often when people are physically in the space with me. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens is, you know, I always find myself having these very deep conversations over the watches. And we, we did this. I, totally. <laughs> I mean, it happens every time. And yeah. it's like, you know, because my thought is like, look, you are so fortunate to be here today, to mm-hmm. be in this space, even with the possibility of buying a watch like this. Mm-hmm. This means that you've done something well. You're successful in some way that you're even considering spending this much money on something like that. That is 100% a luxury. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is not necessary. Yeah, You know, you can do this to make yourself feel good and as a present to yourself. And that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing mm-hmm. to do, but it, but it isn't life or death. Yeah. And, and it's really important to, to remember that and to understand that, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. And if we're here today talking about a watch, this is, this is like gravy, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, thank God, you know, that yeah. we have this opportunity. Totally. So I, I got to ask you a couple practical questions Yes, and you could bat these down if you want to, because <laughs> these are like, these are nerd questions. Um, inventory. So like, how do you find your inventory? Yeah. So it, when we started, when I started, um, I had to physically go to a lot of places. Like mm-hmm. I traveled all over the Midwest. I traveled to Asia. I traveled to Europe trying to introduce myself to, to dealers and build a relationship. And that's how it started, you know? And like you go to a small, small city in the Midwest and you walk into a shop and he's got a couple pieces and bang, buy them for cash and say, hey, if you get something else, let me know. And you develop, you develop it that way. And I did that for years. I also went to the IWJG, which is a, a large, it's a, it's, a, it's a watch community and they have, they would have shows every month mm-hmm. and, and I would go set up a table and just, it's painful and it's hours and hours, but that's how you meet people. And that was the most important thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And then those relationships are still valid today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think 
that's how you have to do it. You have to like get out and shake people's hands and face to face. And then once you've done that, you get that connection. And now it's okay. They know who I am. They know what I look like. They know where I am and they send me stuff. Wow. And vice versa. Very cool, man. Um, Okay. Now you said there's not those situations where you buy something for a thousand dollars and sell it for 50. But I bet there's at least one cool story you could be like, I got at least one like kind of like needle in a haystack story. Yeah, there's probably a few. Is there one that you'd feel comfortable sharing? Um, yeah, pretty early on, um, there was a, a very, very expensive Patek Philippe that, that someone came into the shop and he was, he was a, a wealthy guy and he just didn't want the watch anymore for whatever reason. Um, and I, I believe I bought it for $7,500, which is exactly what he asked for. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And I wound up selling it for 95000 oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good yeah, story. That, 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 was, that was a good one. That's, but a, that's a good story. That doesn't happen very often. No, no most of the I time it's imagine. I buy it for seventy five and I sell it for eighty two. Right, right, <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally, totally. Um, okay, so as we're rounding down, I've got um, a couple more questions. Uh, is there anything that you want us to cover before we round down, though? Oh man, I mean, I, I, I think the message that I would want to put out mm-hmm. um, for HQ Milton is that we do this because we love it. Um, it's it's my passion yeah. and and I care about it and um yeah that's that that's that's the main thing you know it it's a business i get it but uh it it means something to me and it's much more than that yeah. and and hopefully that sentiment comes across when people contact us when they come and meet us and mm-hmm. and they feel it and, mm-hmm. and 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 that's important to me yeah. uh, and man so I will attest for myself, having emailed you, having gone to the shop, having purchased a watch, and also sitting here with you now, it like comes across like this is passion. And it's one of those cool things where you're very passionate about it and it's been successful. And those two things have made believers out of other people who are now promoting for you. Like I can't even, I've probably told 30 people about my experience there, right? Um, so I have two more questions for you. Here's my first question. If you were to think about when you sell a watch to someone, what to you is like an ideal transaction in terms of like how people should feel, how you feel and how they feel? Like, what are you shooting for? What's the gold standard for you on that? Yeah. Like, so what I want to feel is I want this person to be excited and like staring at the watch, like can't keep his eyes or her eyes off of it, you know, and looking at it on, on their wrist and in the mirror and being like, Oh man, this is awesome. Like that's, that's the energy. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what I feel. Mm -hmm. And, and it's when you see it and when you feel it and you're looking at it, you know it. And it's, it's just like, it's just a great feeling. Okay. Last question. And this is the most important question of the whole podcast together. Got a GMT Pepsi for me? I do. In fact, okay, I'll see you in an hour. Yeah, right on, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Scott, thank you so much. Yeah. This has been uh, so, as, as I said, like, you know, I like stuff. I've always, I love collecting. Collecting for me is fun. I, I love the history of things and, you know, like why this thing versus that thing and like understanding all the little neat nuances. So um, when Dave came up with the idea to, to have you on the show and then Tammy gave you that call, I have just been super energized about it. And this conversation was even better than I could have hoped. So thank you so much for being on there. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. Okay, excellent. So everyone, as we're closing off the show, the piece that I really want to put out there is branding is tough. Creating a trusted brand isn't as simple as saying, oh, I've got this cool thing. There has to be like a real sense of conviction about what you do. Because if you don't believe it, nobody else will. So if you're passionate about it, you have a great, great product and you're willing to go and do the work, you know, go out and meet people, cultivate that brand, build it over time. If there's a market, you're going to be successful, but where it starts is deep belief and passion. If you've got that, trust will come. The one thing I'm going to say about trust is you can never buy trust. Trust is only earned and trust once earned 
then echoes out because the person who trusts you will recommend you to others, will recommend you to others and recommend you to others. Start with belief and then focus on trust. So that's it. Uh, everyone, this is a great, great time. Thank you so much. And Dave, drop the beat. That was an incredible conversation. Now, what really stood out to me the whole time was Scott loves what he does. Just a really humble person who's focused on doing something he believes in that he enjoys and doing it from the right place. And to me, that really stands out as being central in terms of building a brand. You know, you can sink a ton of money into marketing and, you know, looking a certain way. But at the end of the day, if you and the people you work with don't love what you do and don't believe in what you do, that brand is going to be like false advertising. One of the ways I encourage people to look at brand is it can work in one of three ways. Your brand can be a shock to people. And what I mean is you've got this incredible brand and then they get in the door and realize that the brand and their experience are not aligned. Or your brand can be a pleasant surprise. People can come in and maybe they don't really feel a connection to the brand, but they're willing to work with you. But it can be a pleasant surprise where they find out that there's actually so much more to your brand than is on the surface. Or your brand can be totally aligned to how you are. And that's what I think people should really be pushing for. It's that your brand is felt in every single interaction with you. So it's not a shock. People don't feel like they've been sold a bad bill of goods. And it's not a pleasant surprise where they're kind of discovering that there's a lot more. It's completely aligned. Your brand and how you actually interact right off the bat are totally in sync with each other. I believe that's the place where you really build that trusted brand status. And I'll tell you, Scott 100% lived it. So that's it for this episode. And we will see you next time on One Step Beyond.